Well, we've been making our way through the book of Philippians, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Martha McCoody and Pastor Ray Kaprowski, who have brought us through the first 14 verses of Philippians chapter 3. In that portion of Scripture, Paul's been talking about himself, his own history, his own story, his own background, his, his own core convictions about how he lives his life. And then in verse 15, he changes gears. He stops talking about himself and he begins to press into the lives of his brothers and sisters at the church in Philippi. He begins to challenge them really in three areas of their lives. And because Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi nearly 2,000 years ago, the Spirit is still speaking to us today. We need to be challenged in these areas as well. Here's the first one. Here's the, the first area that we need to pay attention to is how we think. How we think. Paul says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. We need to think about thinking. We need to pay attention to what has our attention. You see, we're always thinking. Our minds are always running. There's always something on our mind. And yet, we rarely step back. We rarely get some perspective. We rarely take a moment to pause to think about thinking. What are we thinking about? Why are we thinking about that? How are we thinking about what we are thinking about? What are we allowing to come into our minds? And once it's there in our minds, what are we doing with it? You see, so much of the Christian life begins in the mind. How we think. What we think about God. What we think about ourselves. What we think about the world. What we think about our circumstances. Now more than ever, we need to think about how we think. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, it doesn't really come through in our English Bibles, but Paul's doing something really interesting here with that word translated mature. The word is teleos. Now, that Greek word teleos is translated a number of different ways in the New Testament, even a number of different ways in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That word completion is the word teleos. In, in chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul says, not that I am already perfect. Again, that word perfect is the word teleos. Teleos means, means complete, it means mature, it means perfect, it means whole. So Paul had just said in verse 12, listen, I'm not teleos, I'm not perfect, I'm not mature. Now in verse 15, he says, those of us who are mature, so I mean, which one is it? How do we make sense of this? Well, it's quite simple how we make sense of this. Those Christians that are mature are the ones that know they need to grow in maturity. Let, let me say that again. Mature Christians are the ones that know they need to grow in maturity. The most dangerous place where we can find ourselves in the Christian life is in this smug, self-satisfied plateau where we think, there's nothing more that I need to learn. There's no areas in which I need to grow. I have arrived. I am mature. No one needs to teach me anything. Nothing about me needs to, needs to improve. There's no areas for 
grow, that is such a dangerous place to be. Paul says, listen, I am mature, but the telltale sign of being mature is to recognize that you are not fully mature, that there is always ways in which we ought to grow. He says, those of us who are mature ought to think this way. How are we to think? Paul's concerned about how the church of Philippi thinks. Going all the way back to chapter 2, verse 5, Paul said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He wanted them to think, to have a mind among themselves. And then from Philippians 2, verse 5, we have this glorious description of Jesus Christ and his deity. He was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In his, in his incarnation, being found as a servant and in human form, in his penal substitutionary atonement by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then his exaltation, being given the name that is above every name. So we're supposed to think, think in this way, think about Jesus. And as we think about Jesus, we're supposed to be thinking the way that Paul describes his own process of thought in Philippians chapter 3. Thinking about his own righteousness in, in verse 9 where he says that I'm not trusting in my own righteousness. I'm trusting in the righteousness that comes through Christ. In chapter 3 verse 7, thinking that whatever he had as gain, he now counts as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Thinking, like in verse 14, about pressing on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. This is how we're supposed to think. We're supposed to think like Paul. We're supposed to think about not trusting our own righteousness or our own background, but trusting and treasuring Jesus. Thinking about him being more valuable than anything else. Him having the name that is above every name. Those who are mature think in this way. Those who are mature never get tired of the simple gospel that Jesus loves me and Jesus died for me and Jesus is my treasure. That is the telltale sign of Christian maturity. Then he says at the end of verse 15, he says, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You see, when Paul thinks about thinking, he thinks about God. He knows that if there's something that he needs to learn, God is going to reveal it to him. And look at how Paul really models for us how we are supposed to interact with people when they disagree. Paul says, listen, if in anything you think otherwise, if we happen to disagree on this matter, Paul doesn't say, I'm going to convince you by persuading you. I'm going to explain it to you one more time. I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to write in all caps. No, that's not what he says. He says, listen, if in anything you think otherwise, he says, God will reveal it to you. Loved ones, we, we, we need less persuasion and more prayer especially in the way that we interact with our family members, especially when we interact with our, with our church family. Loved ones, just take five minutes and stop trying to convince the person and just pray for them. Paul is confident. Listen, God's, if, you, if you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. God needs to be involved in our thinking. Then in verse 16, he says, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold 
true. Now, if you're reading a version of the Bible that's that's not the English Standard Version, it probably says something different. That's because the English translators use a, a number of different words to translate that phrase, hold true. The King James says, walk by the same rule. The NIV says to live up to. The New American Standard Bible says keep living to that same standard. The word there in the original Greek is the word used to describe farmers who plant seeds in a row and they're all lined up. It's also a military term used to describe soldiers who are marching in a straight line, in a row. The idea is the idea of lining up. You see, when we get our thinking lined up with the gospel, then our living will be lined up with the gospel. That's what Paul wants to see happen. And it begins with our thinking. Jump down to Philippians 4 verse 8. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Get your mind lined up on the gospel and then your life will also be lined up. It will hold true. It will be consistent. It will be in line with who God is and what he has done. And then Paul also tells us that as we try to hold true, as we try to stay in line, we need to, we need to find some people that we can follow who are ahead of us, who are also walking along that line. Verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is walking that line and he invites the other followers of Jesus Christ to follow him. Now, this might come across as being arrogant where Paul is saying, imitate me. But listen, he's saying, imitate me in the way that I imitate Christ, that I'm following Jesus. Imitate me in the way that I press on. In, imitate me in the way that I am straining forward all the things that he's been saying in this chapter as he's been talking about himself. He says, not imitate me because I'm living the perfect life. He's not perfect. He already said that in, in chapter 3, verse 12. I am not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. You see, we need role models. Yes, it's true. We are all ultimately following Jesus, but we need role models here on this earth, broken people living in a broken world who are stumbling forward but straining to follow Jesus Christ. We need, a, we need examples on how to have a healthy and a strong marriage. We need examples about how to raise our children to love and follow Jesus. We need examples about how to persevere in a toxic work environment. We need examples with how to live with, with purpose and purity in the midst of singleness. We need examples in all of these areas of our lives. We need to look for role models and loved ones. Our church is full of role models like this. Paul, Paul says, keep your eyes on those who are walking according to the example in verse 17. Keep your eyes. Find them and focus on these people. Follow them as they follow Christ. You've got to be intentional in this. 
You've you've got to pursue mentorship and role models. In, this isn't something that will just happen. Paul says it's a command here. Keep your eyes on them. Find people who are following hard after God and pursue them. Develop a relationship with them. Ask them questions. Ask for their help. Seek their counsel. Ask them to pray for you and to guide you. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul and Timothy set up this example, and then there are those who are walking according to the example, and then there are those that Paul is talking to who need to follow those who are following the example of Paul and Timothy who are ultimately following the example of Jesus. Now all of us are someplace in that continuum. All of us need to be finding people who we ought to follow, role models, who can mentor us and help us. But listen, all of us also need to recognize that there are people who are following us, that there are people who are looking to us as an example. And so, loved ones, this applies to elders and pastors in our church, to small group leaders, to youth and Awana and Hope Kids leaders. This involves to our involves our, our biblical counselors. This involves our, our welcome team, our worship team, our production team. This involves parents. This involves older brothers and sisters, loved ones. We need to understand that people are following us and imitating us. And if every Christian at Hope Church Mississauga lived the way that you lived, if every Christian at Hope Mississauga lived the way that I live, what kind of a church would we be? What kind of an example are we setting? Think about that. The, the responsibility of being a role model. We need, to, we need to hold true. We need to stay in line with the gospel because others are coming behind us. And to make sure that we hold true, we need to make sure that we are following those who are, again, not perfectly. This is what John MacArthur says, it's not about the perfection of our lives, it's about the direction of our lives. Is it lining up with who Jesus is and what he has done for us? Keep your eyes on role models. Keep your eyes on role models who are walking according to the example. Verse 18, it says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Paul lays out here two paths. There are those who walk, in verse 17, according to the example of Paul and Timothy, but there are also those who walk as enemies of the cross. Do you see the repetition of the word walk in verse 17 and verse 18? Paul gives this warning that there are those who are walking as enemies of the cross. Notice how he's warning them with, with tears. Again, this is a book that's all about joy. And yet here Paul, as he's writing this, he's crying. He's filled with tears. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 27 mentions sorrow. Chapter 2, verse 28 mentions anxiety. To live a life of joy doesn't mean that you're never sad, that you're never anxious, that you're never crying. Paul is broken over the way some people are choosing to live their lives as enemies of the cross. Now, Paul does not get specific about who these people are, but he does lay out 
the path that they are on. He says in verse 19, he says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and, their, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul gives this fourfold description of people who are on this path. He begins by saying where this path ultimately leads. He says, if, if you go down the path of following Jesus, we know where that path goes, but if you go down this other path, he says, their end is destruction. Walking down this path will lead to destruction. It ultimately leads to hell. It leads to separation from God, eternal conscious torment, as it's described by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. The end is destruction. To head down that path. Secondly, he says their God is their belly. He's not simply referring to their physical appetite. The, the belly there, it's a metaphor for all forms of self-indulgence. Paul says that there are people who are walking down this path who, who whatever impulses, desires, lusts, or instincts rise up from within them, they feel the freedom and the need to act on those things. Then thirdly, they glory in their shame. Because they have isolated their self and their desires as their God, whatever they want to do, they think needs to be celebrated. And they, they think needs to, needs to be gloried in. Even though these things are things that they ought to be ashamed of. Now listen, we are living in a world where people are continually being told to follow their own impulses, their own desires. Let your belly be your God. Do whatever you want to do and glory in it, even if it is something that is shameful. Glory in it. Now, you might think that's very unique to our time, the things that are celebrated and highlighted and encouraged and even legislated in our world today. But loved ones, this is the way it has always been. This is how it was for the people who were living in Philippi. This was the world that they were living in. This is the world that the Old Testament prophets were living in. Isaiah 5 verse 20, Isaiah says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We are living in a world that is calling evil good. We are living in a world that is calling good evil. But this is not a unique time. This is how it was in the days of Isaiah. He goes on to say, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. We, we live in a time where people glory in their shame. This is the same way it was for the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 6 verse 15. He says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. There was no shame. In fact, they gloried in their shame. They did it in Jeremiah's day, in Isaiah's day, in Paul's day. It's happening in our day. We need to make sure that we are thinking rightly. We need to make sure that we are following the right people down the right path because the other path is a path that glories in shame, is a path that where our God becomes our belly, is a path that leads to destruction. And then... And then at the end of verse 19, he says, with minds set on earthly things. This is the world we live in right now. Humanism. Thinking that, that all, 
all that matters is all that is here right now. D dialectical materialism, this, this whole idea that all that matters is what is physical and what is here and what is now. Atheism, this idea that there's no God, that there's no accountability, that there's no purpose for life. This is the kind of world that we live in. And we are living in a world, like Mark 8.36 says, we are living in a world where people are gaining the world but are forfeiting their soul. There is no attention being given to eternity, to life after this life. People are living as though this is all there is. And again, this is nothing new. This is how it has always been. This is what God's people have always been up against. This is the path that the people of God must continually turn away from. So again, going back to the exhortation in verse 17, keep our eyes on those who are walking according to the example. Why? Because there are many who are walking as enemies of the cross. So what are you keeping your eyes on? Are you keeping your eyes on professional athletes and celebrities and singers and actors and politicians and social media influencers who are walking as enemies of the cross? Or are you fixing your eyes on, and I'm not just talking about pastors or preachers on podcasts, I'm talking about real life, rubber hitting the road, flesh and blood live down the street from you, Christians in this church that are setting an example of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Loved ones, we got to get in one another's lives. We've got to make sure that we're being intentional in pursuing mentorship and role models so that we stay on the path to hold true, to have our lives line up with the way that they are supposed to be lived. Paul tells us to pay attention to who we are following. He lays out the one group that's following the example. They are walking according to the example of Paul as he follows Christ or those who are walking as enemies of the cross. Verse 14, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Verse 19 ended by saying, focused on earthly things. But then Paul says, but our citizenship is not earthly. We're not focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is the third and final point, where we belong, where we belong. We're to pay attention to how we think, to who we follow, and to where we belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship is a very important concept in the book of Philippians. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, that that phrase manner of life there's a footnote in your esv bible that says that manner of life actually can be translated let your citizenship live behave as citizens worthy of the gospel paul is calling the church at philippi to think about citizenship where they truly belong now philippi was a really unique city Paul's writing from Rome, but he's 1,300 kilometers away, as far as, as we are right now from, from New Brunswick. And even though Rome was so far away from Philippi, Philippi had this special status as a Roman colony. 
that if you were born in Philippi, you were considered a Roman citizen. Not just part of the Roman Empire, like all the other cities in Macedonia, all the other cities really in the known world would have been part of the Roman Empire. But if you were born in Philippi, you were considered a Roman citizen. So, so to be a Philippian, was a, there was a badge of honor because to be a Philippian was also to be a Roman. There was a special status of citizenship that went along with being born and bred in that city. And Paul says, listen, I know you're proud of being from Philippi, about your citizenship there, but you have a new identity. You have a new citizenship. Listen, whatever we bring to the table in terms of our background or our ethnicity or our education, whatever it may be, all of that gets trumped by the reality of our citizenship in heaven. It supersedes all things. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Philippi is not your home. We used to sing this song at summer camp. This world is not my home, although it seems to be. My home is with my God in a place he made for me. He's coming back real soon. The signs are very clear. So when the trumpet sounds, I'll be out of here. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He says, we, we have this citizenship that is in heaven. And it says, and from it, we await a savior. He's coming back real soon. The Lord Jesus Christ. So we are citizens, not of Philippi, not of this world, not of Brampton or Georgetown or Mississauga or Milton or Orangeville or Toronto. We are citizens, not of Canada. We are citizens of heaven. That is our core identity. And that is why we need to understand that the path of following the example versus the path of being enemies of the cross, it's a narrow path. We don't fit in. We don't feel like we belong. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Hebrews 11.13 says that, that people who are faithful to God for centuries have lived as strangers and exiles on the earth. In John 15, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 17, 15 and 16, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This world is not our home. We're, we're warned to stay off the path of being enemies of the cross and to stay on the narrow path. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. In the parable of the sower in Mark 4:19, Jesus said, "The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word." We need to understand that we need to live separate as citizens of heaven, not of this world. We need to live lives that are different. That's why we have to think about how we think. That's why we have to follow the right kind of role models because we we are going against the grain we are swimming against the current and so we need to be intentional with these things our citizens our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior 
we await the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come on the clouds. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in that moment. We talk a lot about the first coming of Jesus, about Christmas, about the incarnation, about the cross and the resurrection. We don't talk nearly enough as followers of Jesus Christ about his second coming. It's all over the New Testament. It's all over Jesus' parables. It's all over Paul's letters. It's clearly all over the book of Revelation. This reality that Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to do something incredible. He will transform, in verse 21, our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Listen, whether we've been buried and dead, he's going to resurrect us. Whether we are living here on earth when he returns, he's going to transform us. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's going to happen in an instant in the twinkling of and I, we are all created in the image of the man of dust, Adam, but we will be transformed to be in the image of the man from heaven, Jesus, who is coming. He will transform our lowly bodies, bodies that are susceptible to viruses like COVID-19, bodies that are broken, bodies like, just think about Pastor Chris's uh, prayer for this sermon. Think about surgeries, think about deaths, think about radiation and chemotherapy and disease. All of these are evidence of our lowly bodies. But listen, every single follower of Jesus Christ has this hope that our lowly bodies will be transformed. Even if we don't experience healing here and now, healing is coming. Transformation is coming for every follower of Jesus Christ. Those who live as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. Those who follow the example of Christ and pursue Christ, their end is glorification. We talked earlier in this series about sort of the threefold way of thinking about salvation, about what it means to be saved, and there's justification which is being declared righteous. That's what Paul was talking about in chapter 3, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through Christ by faith. That's justification. Then there's sanctification, which is the process of becoming holy. That's what Paul's talking about in chapter 3, verse 12, pressing on, straining forward. But then there's glorification. The end result, when Christ returns and we will be transformed into his likeness. Loved ones, this is our hope. We need to think about how we think, who we follow, and where we belong. And Paul sums it all up in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, there's the word joy, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He calls them beloved. He calls them brothers. He loves them. He longs for them. They are his joy. This is how your pastors and elders and leaders and church family members feel about you. And the Spirit is saying to you today, stand firm. 
stay on the path. Continue to pursue Jesus Christ. Don't lose sight of the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel. Pay attention to how you think. Pay attention to who you follow. Pay attention to where you belong. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take your living and active word. God, help us to receive it. Lord, help us to apply it and live by it for your glory. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.